Welcome to you, wherever you're at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for these few moments this weekend. Before we jump into our teaching, if you haven't already downloaded this absolutely free uh, app, it's called the Version. has every translation of the Bible you can imagine, all kinds of reading plans, videos, and a complete set of notes for this weekend's message. Just uh, open the drop-down menu, lower right-hand corner, in events, search for Arlington FM Church, and there you will find our content. Speaking of content, if you haven't discovered our podcast yet when you're in your player, again, search for Arlington FM Church, and there you will find all of our teaching series. Well, uh, we are in a series called uh, Disciple B1 Make One, and it's, uh, it's really an invitation to be the kind of followers of Christ who are effective and fruitful and we experience uh, the uh, joy of being used by God to bring his life to others and to draw others closer to God. And uh, Jesus made that initial invitation uh, for people to follow him and to join him in his mission. Here's what he said. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And uh, as we've been saying throughout this series, we believe that our greatest good is found when we take Jesus seriously and we join him in his work of uh, reaching others for God and bringing uh, others closer to God. Well, last week, we looked at the very first fishing trip that Jesus sent his 12 disciples out on, and uh, he empowered them. He gave them the ability to liberate people from oppression. He gave them the authority, the permission uh, to announce the good news of God's kingdom, and he sent them out. And uh, he told them this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Uh, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you. And uh, here's uh, one of the points of application we made to our progress as disciples, as followers of Christ. When uh, we move forward uh, in our experience of Christ, when we join him in his mission to reach others. Uh, hear those words again. We make progress. We move forward in our experience of Jesus when we join him in his mission to reach unreached others. You can flip that around and, and say it like this. Uh, we stagnate. Uh, we don't make progress in our experience of Christ when uh, we refuse to join him in his mission of re reaching unreached others. In fact, uh, we saw uh, last week from uh, Luke chapter 9, uh, these three realities about uh, participating in the mission of Jesus to reach people for God, uh, that uh, this is Christ's only plan for maturing us into his likeness. It, uh, he never did call us to follow him and become students. He said, follow me and uh, become fishers of men, and uh, as we are engaged with him in his work, that transformation happens in our lives. And uh, secondly, we saw that this really is Christ's only plan for reaching the needs of humanity. It was always his purpose to raise up people who will live like he did in the world. And then uh, thirdly, we saw that uh, this is Christ's only plan for making himself known to us. Uh, it's as we are engaged in the work of serving people the way that he did. Uh, he is revealed to us. We experience Jesus in the midst of those transactions of us giving ourselves for others. Uh, you could say it like this. We will really only know Christ as he is 
when we serve others as he does. Uh, Jesus said it like this, as much as you've done to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And when you accept a, a humble child in my name, you're accepting me. And so again, uh, Christ lives in those interactions and, and knowing Christ is really where Luke goes in his discipleship training process that uh, there are things he's called us to do but those things that we do must emerge out of our experience of him and our relationship with him. Uh, John would write about this reality in his gospel like this. Uh, Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so his exhortation, uh, his critical truth was remain in me, abide in me, abide in my love, and you will produce much fruit. So it's all about uh, the quality uh, of that relationship in our interaction with Christ. And uh, uh, here is how uh, Luke begins to tease out that critical lesson that uh, nothing matters more than the quality of our interaction with Jesus, and uh, nothing will determine more our impact on others uh, outside of that quality relationship. Uh, here's what Luke writes uh, again in chapter 9. He says, once when Jesus was praying in, in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them a question. Who do the crowds say that I am? Uh, what's, what's the latest scoop? Uh, what are people saying about me? Well, they replied, uh, some say you're John the Baptist. Uh, at this point, uh, John had been killed by Herod and uh, Jesus was doing so many miraculous, marvelous things that some people were saying, well, uh, John has come back. And he's working these incredible miracles. And others say, you're Elijah, that uh, there was this uh, idea that because Elijah was caught up in this chariot and taken to heaven, that uh, he would come back someday and continue on with the works that he was doing as recorded in the Old Testament. And still others were saying, well, you're one of the prophets of long ago and you've come back to life. Uh, you're obviously some significant character uh, that has already come and is gone. And, uh, you know, Jesus' point is this. Uh, there are a lot of popular opinions about him in the world. Uh, there are a lot of things being said about Jesus today. Uh, some of them sort of true. Many of them not so much. Uh, that Jesus is a prophet. That he was a great teacher. Uh, similar to Buddha or Muhammad. Uh, that, uh, you know, he had wise things to say about God. But he certainly wasn't God and uh, all kinds of opinions and uh, thoughts and responses uh, to Jesus. But the really important thing is, who is he to you? And, and that's exactly where Jesus' questioning uh, goes. He says, but what about you guys? He asked, who do you say that I am? Uh, you know, there is the crowd speak, and there's a popular trends, but who have I come to be in your life experience? Well, uh, as he often does, Peter shot out the answer. He said, you're God's Messiah. And uh, the lights would have lit up at this point. Bingo! Right answer. Uh, you just found the piece, the missing piece of the God puzzle. Uh, that it was always God's intention uh, to send a deliverer. Uh, to send someone who could do for God's people what they couldn't do for themselves. Uh, rescue them from their enemies and establish the good the wholesome, the just, the merciful kingdom of God here on planet Earth among his people. Well, uh, Peter had answered correctly. 
Uh, you're the promised one. You're the one who the prophet spoke about. Uh, you've come. Uh, you've arrived. A long-awaited Messiah is here. And, uh, you know, after logging a bit of time with Jesus, uh, Peter began to connect the dots uh, when he realized that Jesus did things no one else could do. The miraculous power of God was obviously upon him in the way that he liberated people from oppressive spirits, the way that he healed people of their diseases, but even more impacting, the incredible way that he spoke about God, the truth that came out of him. And uh, how many of you know that it's possible uh, there's a big difference between having the right answer and actually understanding what you just said? You ever done that? You know, you have the right answer, but you don't really realize the implications of it. I once uh, uh, took a course in college. It was a statistics course, and uh, I'm not very good at math. And so uh, in my four-year degree program, I found a way to put this required stats class off until my very last year, the very last term. And it was either make or break. I either passed this class or I didn't graduate. And uh, as I looked at the syllabus for this class, the entire grade was based on three exams, uh, one at the beginning of the term, one midway through, one at the end, each of them given equal weight to your grade. And I thought, well, I can do that. And uh, so first test rolled around. I boned up for it, had the right answer, passed it with flying colors, got a high, one of the highest A's in the class. The second exam rolled around, I boned up, had the right answers, passed it, one of the highest grades in the class. But then uh, the instructor threw in a twist. The last exam was cumulative. It was everything that we had covered from day one to the very end of the term. And I failed it so badly that I pulled my two A's down to a low C and barely uh, passed the class. And all of that to say, you know, we can have the right answers about who Jesus is but now to have a clue about the implications and what that means in our lives. And, and that's exactly where Jesus now goes in his instruction uh, to his disciples. After Peter gave the right answer, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. You have to wonder uh, why the strict warning uh, not to announce to everyone that God's Messiah is here. Well, we'll kind of get into that. But he followed it up by saying this. The Son of Man, the Messiah, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised again to life. You know, uh, this was a big pill to swallow. Uh, Jesus is saying now, yeah, I am God's Messiah. I am the deliverer, the long-awaited Son of God who's come to establish the reign of God in the world. But here's how it's going to happen. The Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be turned over to the chief priests and the elders and to be humiliated, insulted, tortured, killed. And uh, some people refer to this as the scandal of the cross. It's the idea that someone completely good would give themselves over uh, to... Uh, people who are completely bad, and allow them uh, to abuse and punish and torture him. You know, uh, Paul, the apostle, uh, years later, would talk about the scandal of the cross in this way. In the book of Romans, he said, look, we all know that 
It's rare that someone would give their life for someone else. In fact, we consider someone a hero if they donate one of their extra kidneys to someone else. Uh, but Paul will say, occasionally, rarely, you're going to find someone who's willing to give their lives for a good person. But God, scandal of the cross, demonstrated his love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ gave his life for us. And, uh, you know, that that's a way of winning the world that didn't sit well with the twelve. It didn't fit in with their idea of what the Old Testament taught about God and his kingdom and how God would establish his rule in the earth, this, uh, this way of suffering, a way of sacrifice, a way of giving yourself for others in order to demonstrate the generous, the merciful, the, the compassionate heart of God. In fact, uh, Matthew, when he writes about this very same account uh, and Peter's uh, correct answer, you're God's Messiah, uh, shortly afterwards, as Jesus talks about what that means, describes the scandal of the cross, we're told that uh, Peter took Jesus aside and he began to rebuke him. Jesus took God's, or Peter took God's Messiah aside and began to correct him. And he said, uh, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. You'll never be given over in this way and suffer and be insulted and die at the hands of evil people. And uh, Jesus turned and said to Peter, uh, that's right, Pete, thanks for correcting me. Uh, that's crazy thinking. No, that's not at all what Jesus did. It says uh, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God. You're merely thinking about human concerns. You see, uh, though Peter had the correct answer, he knew who Jesus was. He's God's Messiah. He didn't have a clue what the implications of that were and how that would actually be lived out. And unwittingly, uh, Peter finds himself being the spokesperson of the devil, actually hindering Jesus from his purpose to go to the cross for the sins of humanity. And, uh, you know, if that's not scandalous enough, that God's chosen Messiah would uh, offer himself up as a sin offering uh, to suffer, to be punished, put to death, and killed at the hands of sinners. If that's not enough of a scandal, Jesus goes on. He, then he said to them all, uh, all of them listening, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. They must go where I'm going and do what I'm doing. Uh, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now, these are incredible words. Uh, Jesus is now uh, bringing uh, his new recruits, and us too, by virtue of our study in, this, in Luke's gospel, he's bringing them to a point of decision. He's saying, look, uh, you're beginning to understand who I am, uh, where I fit in God's purpose, and uh, this is not only my pathway for establishing God's rule, it must be yours. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be born again, here's something you got to decide. You're going to do what I do. You're going to go where I go. 
You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Well, let me tell you what that doesn't mean to uh, take up our cross daily. It doesn't mean we have a collection of crosses around our house. You know, we pick one, uh, the cross of the day, uh, to remind us of what Jesus did for us, and off we go. It also doesn't mean that we, uh, you know, we, we do religious things like this, where we uh, pack a cross around to demonstrate to others how much we love Jesus and how much, how thankful we are for what he did for us. In fact, uh, taking up your cross daily doesn't even mean having feelings like this, where we express our, our gratitude to God for what he accomplished through the cross. Now, uh, here's the truth. All of those things can have value uh, if they come after this fact that we're willing to do what Jesus said to do. We're willing to deny ourselves. In other words, we no longer, uh, our religion is no longer about us. It's no longer about our preferences and the things that make us happy, and the people that we like to be around. We put that aside for a higher good, for a greater good. And uh, we choose to take up our cross daily, which actually means we do what Jesus did. We give ourselves for people who are far from God. We befriend people who are trying to manage life without God. Uh, think back to what Luke has described in his gospel. Uh, Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors. He enjoyed them. He valued them. Uh, he became their friends. He, he showed them hope. He encouraged them. He helped them at their point of need, expecting nothing in return. And Jesus is saying, look, if you want to be my disciples, this is not only what I'm doing for the world and for you, this is what you get to do as a matter of your devotion to me. Well, how important is this? That we uh, obey Jesus and what he's calling us into? Here's what he says. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Uh, in other words, if we don't walk this pathway, we're going to end up losing our greatest good, our, our most uh, developed self as God created us to be. Uh, what good is it to gain a few things and lose that? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, this teaching about suffering for, God, for others who are far from God, whoever is ashamed of that approach, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, uh, some of you are standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. They see God establishing his rule through his suffering servant. Now, I've got to believe, as uh, you see a glimpse in uh, Matthew's gospel, that the disciples' heads are spinning right now. Uh, this is not uh, the Messiah that they expected and hoped for and thought that Jesus was. This suffering, self-giving, humble, uh, befriending of the most broken in society, and that being your worship of God. They must be thinking, well, maybe this is some kind of code. You know, this is one of those parables that the meaning's not obvious, so we need to go and ask him about it. And... Uh, you ever had uh, an experience where you, you got into it and realized you were in over your head? Uh, how about this photo here? You know, I used to be into whitewater rafting, and then I had a few experiences like this. 
uh, where I decided to give up the sport, uh, but uh, maybe try to fill in the caption for this, you know, uh, maybe just the word, oops. Uh, how about this next one? Uh, the caption might read, uh, we've got this. Well, I mean, we had this. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the disciples might have been feeling that level of chaos and disorder. Uh, we thought we knew what we were in for, but then it, it, it shifted on us. And uh, it became something quite different than what we thought we were signing up for. Well, uh, Jesus uh, allows them to punctuate this lesson of uh, learning that our highest uh, form of faith, our highest expression of devotion is to simply follow Jesus in the way of the cross, uh, to be willing uh, to deny ourselves, to uh, offer ourselves to serve and uh, express the kindness and the mercy and the compassion of God to those who need to experience God. Uh, Jesus now allows those lessons to come into clarity. And we're told about eight days after Jesus had taught about this and the way the scandal of the cross, uh, he took Peter and James and John uh, with him and he went up onto a mountain to pray. Uh, interesting how uh, incredible life-changing things happen when Jesus prays. There's a lesson there. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. Uh, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. You know, my eyes get tweaked when I see someone in a car whose lights are too bright. Imagine uh, looking upon the face of Jesus. It's beginning to uh, transform. His clothes become as bright as a flash of lightning. And all of a sudden, we're told uh, two men, Moses and Elijah, two of these giants, these heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, they appeared in glorious splendor. Uh, they're not in their uh, shepherd clothes. They're not in their dirty, uh, their dirty uh, coats. They are in glorious splendor, uh, full regalia, and they're talking with Jesus. And uh, they spoke about his departure. Yeah, that's a fancy way. They spoke about what he was about to do on the cross of reconciling the, the fallen world back to God through his own death and a payment that he would offer. They spoke about this, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. See, there's that scandal of the cross again. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, admittedly, this is not a usual event that's taking place where, uh, you know, in a moment of prayer, uh, Jesus shows up. He's being transformed, begins to glow brighter than lightning. And these two uh, heroes of the faith from the Old Testament appear in splendor. Uh, th that doesn't happen every day. In fact, if you shared an experience like that with me, I would probably recommend therapy for you. Uh, but here, here's the truth. When Jesus walked this earth, he did a number of things uh, that were outside the rules. Uh, we call them miracles. And he did those things when he was here among us uh, to lay down some truth that millions upon millions of people in the coming ages would, would be inspired by and instructed through. And that's exactly the nature of this disclosure. Uh, Jesus is allowing them to see himself in a way they had never seen before. And it's for a purpose. And, uh, you know, Peter, uh, begins to, uh, define what he thinks that purpose is, why it is that they would see Jesus in this unique way. And uh, 
Well, before we touch on Peter's response, uh, just know this about the conversation uh, Christ is having with, with Moses and Elijah. Everything that God had planned to rescue and restore humanity, Jesus was about to bring to pass. Everything, uh, God's eternal plan for reconciling, for bringing the world back to himself, uh, is now being uh, discussed with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And uh, here's the disciples' response to this incredible event. Uh, we're told that Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Uh, who knows if it was because of stress or just the long trip, but as this amazing thing is unfolding, uh, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with them. Uh, you know, it's been observed that people, ha uh, Peter had this disease, they call it foot and mouth or sandal in mouth. And I, I had to wonder, what does that Id idiom really mean that uh, you put your foot in your mouth? Well, here's a description. It means to say something that is tactless or embarrassing, to say or do something that offends, upsets, or embarrasses someone else. Uh, the thing you said usually gets you into trouble especially if you hadn't thought carefully before thinking or doing it. Uh, I remembered one occasion where I was uh, in a coffee shop and I was standing in line and I thought I heard the patron in front of me ask the barista when her baby was uh, due. And I didn't quite hear the answer. And uh, so as I stepped up to order my drink and I was uh, interacting with the barista, uh, I asked her, when's your baby due? And she turned and looked at me and said, I'm not pregnant. Well, it's that kind of uh, foot and mouth. I never went back to that shop, by the way. It's that kind of uh, response that got Peter in trouble. In fact, we're told as the men were leaving, as Moses and Elijah were leaving Jesus, uh, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. We want to build monuments here, one for you. One for Moses, one for Elijah. We can really monetize this. Uh, this can be a great place. And uh, just to let you know uh, what Peter's tone was and how he was missing the mark, uh, Luke inserts this parenthetical statement. He said Peter did not know what he was saying. He was just running off at the mouth. It seemed like the appropriate response to what was happening. But, uh, you know, as you uh, unpeel uh, this episode, what you really see Peter doing is uh, he's responding to this real-time disclosure of Jesus to himself. Uh, Peter's responding to that out of habit, out of ritual, out of a pattern response. Well, if God does something great, this is what you do. And, uh, you know, that may seem like an innocent reaction, but according to the text, uh, it is absolutely outside the bounds of how Jesus was hoping and God was wanting Peter and James and John to respond to this situation. In fact, we're told this, while Peter was still speaking, he's still saying, what a good thing it is for us to be here, and we should do these things as specified in the Old Testament. While he's still speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud, and a voice came from the cloud and saying, this is my son, whom I have chosen, listen to him. This is God saying, Peter, shut up and listen to my chosen son and quit rambling on about uh, what the appropriate 
religious response would be in this situation. You know, uh, I really do believe this, uh, that th this is meant to, to get us to think about the way we respond to our knowledge of who Jesus is. He is God's Messiah. He is the chosen son. How do we live that out? What do we do with our knowledge that God has made himself known through the person of Jesus Christ? Well, here's how this episode ends. It says, when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. In other words, these heroes of the Old Testament were gone. This cloud of glory was gone, and all that remained was the person of Jesus Christ. And the disciples kept this to themselves. They did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. And, uh, you know, uh, moving towards the close of this message, uh, really, as you think about Peter's response and trace it through the different Gospels, uh, he habitually uh, had a way of, of responding to what he thought was the appropriate religious thing to do, and he had to be corrected. He got to be corrected, and it was part of his learning process, learning to become a fisher of people, someone that God could actually use to bring his life to others and draw others who were far away, who could draw them to God. And uh, the word addiction uh, came to mind as I thought about uh, Peter's habitual responses to Christ. And uh, here's a description of what an addiction is. It's a treatable chronic disease involving complex interactions among brain circuits, genetics, the environment, and an individual's life experiences. And uh, people with addictions, they use substances or they engage in behaviors that become compulsive and often continue despite harmful consequences. And uh, here's the point of application. Uh, do you know uh, religion can become addictive? It can become a compulsive behavior that is destructive. Uh, Christianity can become an addictive response to a religious belief system uh, that has uh, really nothing to do with a surrender to the Lordship of Jesus and a decision to live out his will. Uh, according to Jesus, he even used the terminology. He said, look, when people get stuck in, in old-time religious rituals, it's like people who've drunk old wine. When the new wine comes, they don't want to change. They, they like what they've become accustomed to. And uh, that kind of response to the life that Jesus brings is more than neutral. It brings about death. Jesus said it actually bursts the wineskins. They can't contain this new life that he came to bring. And uh, really what religion, habitual religious behavior is, it, it sidesteps the cross, the scandal of the cross. Uh, Jesus said it's not only the pathway by which I bring life to the world, it'll be the same pathway by which you bring life to others as you deny yourself, uh, take up your own cross, uh, suffer for those who are far from God, uh, befriend uh, the ungodly, uh, show your best to those who deserve at least, and uh, you'll find your life. Uh, that is the way of the cross, and it's what God is inviting us into. I want to close uh, with a 
kind of what I believe is a daily decision that disciples get to make. It can be said like this. Uh, will today be about my relationship with Jesus and my ongoing response to his leadership? Or will it be about my affection for religion and devotion to my rituals, my principles, and my practices? You know, that, that statement uh, represents a why in the road. Uh, those are two very dramatically different ways of responding to the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, one is the scandal of the cross. I'm willing to join Jesus in suffering for those who deserve at least. The other is the more standard response to my religion and my rituals. Well, as we pray, you know, in the next chapter, Luke will include a little situation where Jesus stops to have a meal at the house of a woman named Martha. And uh, we're told that during this meal, uh, she's busy with many preparations, which is a great thing. And her sister Mary is at the feet of Jesus. She's listening to him, responding to him, uh, choosing to prioritize her relationship with him. And uh, we're told in this story that uh, Martha became distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And uh, she actually began to get upset she came to him and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to work by myself? Tell her to help me. There's that same spirit of trying to correct and rebuke God's Messiah. Here's the response she got. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen it, which is better. She's chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken from her. And uh, as we pray, uh, let's uh, just join uh, with the Father uh, through his Spirit. And I thank Jesus uh, for this teaching, for this revelation of himself, uh, for his willingness to share the fine print, that to be his disciple uh, means to deny ourselves, take up our cross, our willingness to serve the least of these in his name, displaying his mercy and his kindness, and to know that that road is the way that leads to life. Father, thank you for your invitation to be a part of your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, for inviting us to join you in your work, for equipping us, empowering us, sending us to people that are trying to do life without God. Lord, thank you that in every way you make us capable of stepping into the lives of people who need to experience you. And uh, Lord, uh, may you give us ears to hear and hearts that respond. Uh, may we be the kind of people that every day uh, find a moment to be at your feet, uh, to check our own pulse, and to say, Lord, uh, help me to follow you today. Help me to go where you're going and do what you're doing, and to know, Lord, that is the one thing that means everything to you and to your kingdom in our lives and in our world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.